Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. We welcome Nathan McKay Wallace back to Nine to Noon. Good morning. Kia ora, Catherine. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Great to have you back. Thank you. And I'm sure uh, that you're happy to take questions as always. Email Absolutely. them nine to noon at radioNZ.co.nz. Text them to 2101. Tweet them at nine to noon. So today on Parenting on Nine to Noon, Nathan McCarty Wallace is going to be talking about sleep, the science of sleep, and whether sleep training is harmful for children. Uh, Nathan, oh. it's well, it is utterly ubiquitous. It's one of the first, one of the first and most challenging and sometimes ongoing challenging components yep. of parenting. Where do we begin with the subject? Yeah, it's sort of at the base of everything, isn't it? If you're dead tired and can't achieve anything else, you know, then um, you know, sleep's kind of fundamental to everybody. It's one of those topics that gets everyone really upset. You know, it's sort of like, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you're going to get people upset. In, in response to the, is the sleep training going to harm your baby? The short answer to that is no, it's not. Children are incredibly resilient. It takes more than just a sleep training program to uh, do any harm to your baby. Having said that, is it going to do any good for your baby? Oh, well, no, not necessarily. It's probably going to be really good for you because you're an adult and like sleeping through the night. But actually, a baby's brain's growing really rapidly. So the baby that wakes up a couple of times a night and gets topped up by breast milk is probably at a bit of an advantage, I'd imagine. Um, so, you know, it's whose perspective are we looking at the sleep training from? I think um, also people have misperceptions about sleep. They think that you go to sleep and you sleep for eight hours and you wake up again, but that tells us more about the Industrial Revolution than it does about human circadian rhythms. Or when you sleep, because you really have about four sleep cycles a night, and you've, as an adult, we've learned to link, link those sleep cycles together. But there are, you know, three times or more a night when you come close to waking up. You know, I joke when I do dad's groups, this is when you, you know, roll over, pull all the blankets off your partner, fart and go back to sleep. But, um, and you don't actually wake up because you've learned to link your sleep cycles together. Yeah. But your wife probably does wake up because um, pregnancy gets her awake during her sleep cycles and she goes to the toilet. And so, um, and women often continue to wake up in between their sleep cycles when they're parents. But um, usually, you know, as a child, you learn to link your sleep cycles together and you start to sleep all night. But you continue to have three times when you're close to waking, but you've learned to link those cycles and so you stay asleep. So really the baby that's in a bassinet right beside your bed that starts to stir and then you pick them up and feed them and they go back to sleep without fully waking, that's probably a baby that's learning to link their sleep cycles more effectively than a baby that's left to cry. Because a baby that's left to cry is actually learning to wake up completely in between their sleep cycles. Having said that, I want to really emphasise that a baby left to cry in the middle of the night that has everything else going for them in their lives and has loving parents and loving grandparents and is free of any trauma or neglect or abuse, being put on a sleep training program is not going to do them any great damage. I just think it's hard. People want a definitive answer whether it's really bad or it's really good and it's just simply in the middle of that. It um, doesn't do them any good. Um, it doesn't do them any great harm. How much variation do we get in babies' sleeping routines, and is that a big oh, challenge? Amount. Because someone, you know, someone wants the magic answer. And, and you do. mentioned whose perspective. We need to keep remembering that we need healthy parents for healthy babies, right? Yeah, we do. And, we do. Uh, and however we go about making sure that you're getting enough of what you need 
to mm-hmm. be giving to your baby is an important perspective, right? And this is it where is, we get yep. into all sorts of debates and arguments. But mm-hmm. there's a starting point. There's likely to be big variation within the normal. Huge amount. You just see some babies that won't sleep and, you know, uh, won't uh, take a decent feed and uh, sort of, you know, every 20, 30 minutes are waking up and wanting another slight top up. To the other extreme, I, one of my children was born sleeping through the night. They, you know, slept for eight hours of the day they were born. So you get you know, huge variation in what are natural sleep cycles. You can sleep too much as well. You know, babies need to be awake and interacting and eating, not sleeping all of the time. So when you come at this question of sleep training again for infants, and it's particularly sensitive with infants, isn't it? Um, yep. I mean, that that human visceral response to a baby crying is, is amplified, particularly by, a, by you know, a new parent or someone who is the it parent. Is. Yep. So how do you come at it with some general principles? You're not going to take a strict side one way or the other on this, yep. uh, this approach or leave to cry or, yep. or, or respond say, every time mm. or cuddle to sleep or don't cuddle to sleep or <laughs> swaddle or don't swaddle. Yeah. What are your starting principles? I think your starting principles are, for a start, you don't have to do it. You know, um, it's not. I think a lot of parents thought that they've, it's their job as a good parent to put the child into a routine, and so just being given permission straight away that you don't have to do it. It's okay to just keep responding to your baby throughout the night when they wake up, and helping them to go back to sleep. If anything, that's probably a good response in the first year of life. Um, the the other general principle is that um, babies in that first year of life, it's not very good for them to be distressed. Now, that doesn't mean the sort of um, grizzling, settling down cry that the baby has when you often um, first put them down to bed, but there's a level of distress that the child hits that normally you feel it in your chest because your heart jumps up into your throat um, as a parent and you want to rush straight to the baby. That level of distress, um, we don't really want babies experiencing that in the first year of life. Like I said before, if everything else is all good, it's not going to destroy them experiencing that distress, but it's something in general, as a general practice that you want to avoid in the first year of life. First year of life is all about making the baby feel safe and in partnership because that's what gives them the biological information to really bring about the best brain they could have for the rest of their life. Can it be about what works if you're someone who gives it a go for the couple of days or the couple of nights or however long someone says you just need to survive baby crying and it works, is that a sign? Uh, If it doesn't work, is that a sign? I think so, yeah. If you've given that a couple of days and a couple of days of stress isn't going to define a baby's outcomes and it seems to work and they settle off and go to sleep, well, then, yeah, everyone's happy then, aren't they? The baby's only had a couple of days of stress. Now everyone's getting a full night's sleep. Um, But, yeah, if the child is persistently distressed and upset and doesn't want to be in under and cries for you, that tells you that the baby really needs you to be close. So give in to that as well. And looking after you is the other question in the equation sometimes. Mm. If you've set yourself on a particular approach, um, you know, how do you know? How do you know where it's the, yeah. the, the impact on you may well become an impact on a baby? That's right. And we put so many expectations on ourselves when we're first parents and what it means to be a good parent and how, how your baby's going to act. Um, so I do think it's about you as a parent having to look after yourself. They use that metaphor of, you know, like the air hostess, put your own oxygen mask on first. You've got to look after your own well-being. So I think for the parent to be responsive and flexible. Parenting isn't just about what you're doing to your baby. It's about the relationship between you and your baby. So you may have to adjust that parenting along the way as you respond to your individual baby and their particular needs and their particular 
temperament. An approach of least harm in some ways, isn't it? Um, yeah, including yeah, for it yourself. Is. For people who really are having a chronic time of it, and as we said, there can be multiple reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your advice? I mean, is this a time where you, you're in a fog anyway? Um, yep. And, um, and, and, you know, every part, emotion and every other part of, of your functioning is affected. Is it a time hugely. where find someone to talk to? Um, what, yep. what are some of the ways of just managing yourself through um, a, a situation you're worried about when you're particularly mm. stressed, stressed and, and sleep deprived? Yeah, and all of your networks in your brain are really taken away the, the juice, if you like, from the frontal cortex and sent it all to your limbic system. What you know, parents talk about is nappy brain, where all that cognitive stuff is in the background, but your social-emotional brain has a turbocharger on it because nature wants you to be bonding to the baby. They don't want you to be coming up with strategic plans for how you're going to manage the baby. So your strategic thinking brain's gone into the background, the emotional brain's at the forefront, you're really stressed. It's, again, that same message about look after yourself. Um, But I think it's about um, maybe having realistic expectations of yourself. You know, that gap between who you want, the perfect parent that you want to be, and then the reality of being sleep deprived and um, just realising that all of us as parents are in that middle space. Forget so. about the house. Don't worry yeah. about what you're wearing. Don't mm-hmm. overcommit yourself to this or that coffee morning. Although yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this or that coffee morning, that's going to help socially. Yeah. But uh, accept that at the moment, just getting through this well for everyone yeah. is, is the priority. And that coffee morning in the first year of life is, is helpful socially to the mum. Mm. The You don't need to do it for the baby. It's for your yeah. benefit. Mm. Um when do things tend to turn? Because we're talking about sleep cycles right throughout childhood and, and into yep. the teenage years, where of course they go completely haywire. So, <laughs> if you are someone who is surviving, um, a, a, you know, a, a short sleeper or a frequent waker, yep. when do you normally get a reprieve? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, some kids never. You know, there's some kids that just have a temperament that want to be awake all night and sleep during the day. Um, you know, they grew up to manage nightclubs and stuff. <laughs> but, um, so sometimes there is no reprieve. But in typical human development, we sort of think about, I think about that first 18 months or even the first year. The first year the midwives talk about is the golden year because it's really so much happens in that first year. So I sort of want people to be responsive to the baby in that first year. But I think if you get a good basis in that first year, you've got that basis then. So after that, if you've, you know, you're sleep deprived and you're going mental yourself, then um, I might start looking at how to manage the child's sleep after that first year. Certainly after 18 months, all of that stuff is in place and there's a really good foundation. I know with my own child, with the last one, she wasn't much of a sleeper and um, by 18 months I thought, oh look, you know, screw this basically, I want a full night's sleep. You know, it's all very well the ideal of um, responding all the time, but the reality of having lots of kids and going to work and then getting up, you know, a couple of times a night. So from 18 months I would leave her to tend to, you know, um, wake in the middle of the night and cry a bit and be unsettled. I still wouldn't let her get distressed. But I just wasn't into being a rapid response unit in the middle of the night because I figured by 18 months you've got a good foundation. It's not going to do you any great harm to be left for a while. That transition also, and again, this is very personal, you know, whether you're going to have mm-hmm. a bassinet in your room, where you're going to take the bassinet out of the room when someone's getting yep. getting into their own bed for the first time, when, when you're trying to get mm-hmm. a sleep routine 
that does that change again around 18 months or around in the toddlers when they're moving out of being babies into being these little people? Yeah, Still is, little, is, but people. Yeah, there is these key transition points. And often in New Zealand culture, parents want to get race through those transition points. Like, oh, let's get them into bed nice and early. But getting them into a bed early just means there's no walls to trap them in their cot. It's really a good idea to, let, you know, for sleep purposes, to leave them in their cot for a bit longer. Um, so that you are managing when they're getting in and out of bed, and that will help them to set up, um, you know, clearer routines. And um, then other other key transition times with that that transition into childcare and to uh, into preschool and into primary school, there's big big energy changes happening then, isn't it? Is that yeah, another is. time where um, when, when you're looking at some and we're talking nighttime sleep, we haven't really talked about the nap so much, have we? But when you're yeah. getting into what you might call a, a sleep routine or sleep hygiene, is that another key time? It, become, it is a key time, but it becomes so individual by then because kids have so many of their own nuances. And, you know, um, you see that afternoon sleeps we just talked about. You see lots of kids have gone, finished with their afternoon sleeps by two. You have other kids that need to come home from school at five to have an afternoon sleep. Um, so there are key transition times, but it's just going to be so individual for kids after that. I think from about three onwards, we can be expecting typical sleep patterns. I think when your child's three... Um, if you're not getting a full night's sleep, then there is a sleep issue, and I would, you know, seek some help with that. If they are up and uh, up in the night, there's, there's. I'm interested in your approach to when they become independent about this. Things like toileting right. yourself, for example. Things like if you wake up, don't mm-hmm. come and bother us. Yeah. Have a little bit of a, you know, have a, a bit of a lie down or have a little bit of a read. I don't know. What are some of the tips you have for trying yeah. to get them independent in managing their sleep? Ironically, it's counterintuitive because the the more you let them be dependent, the more independent they will be. So the kid will learn to wake up and sort of just lie there and think and, and possibly flick through a book or something, probably if he woke up in the same bed as mum and dad because he feels safe and secure. Um, it's not about trying to get the child to do that as early as possible because the earlier he does it, the better he'll be and the more independent he will be. That might seem intuitive, but that's not really how it is. We find people are secure enough to be independent because they come from a strong, nurturing base of interdependence. That's what makes them secure enough to go and be independent. That is really interesting, that being in your own bed is about feeling secure. And we mm. all know you have the nightmares, you have the boogeyman under the bed, you have the funny yep. shapes on the walls. Mm-hmm. You're wanting them to feel confident that that bed is a safe place to be. Yep. And that can sometimes come from having the comfort of you nearby for a time. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just think more cultures in the world have bed sharing as a normal thing. Um, and I think we're too a bit quick in the Western world to be thinking that our child's supposed to be at two or three independently in their own bed and being brave all night with all of that at a time when they can't tell the difference between imagination and reality, or when the time when they can't tell that monsters aren't real. You know, like, actually, just what all the research tells us and experience tells us is the more secure kids are actually the ones that feel like they've got that secure base to run back to. To, you know, to mum and dad's bed. So if there's going to be some bed sharing that old, how to make it work again on the basis that you would like some sleep and perhaps to make some more children. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what, right. <laughs> how do you manage bed sharing in a way that, yes, you can jump in here tonight and have a cuddle with me or you can jump and have a cuddle with me for this amount of time and then back to your own bed? What's, what's the yeah, sort of very age real and things, stage? Aren't they? Yeah, Because I did think, yeah, I'm the worst person to talk about sleep training in some ways because my sleep training program was to get a super king-sized bed. You know, that's not really much about leaving. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right. But um, yeah, in terms of making other children, that's a very real thing. You know, yeah, um, 
your sex life's going to take a hit if there's other kids in the bed. So by our own routine in my family was to, well, the kids always went to bed in their own bed. It's just that they weren't um, greeted with negativity when they wanted to come and get into the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. So it was like the kids went into their own bed. When we went to bed, there were no kids in bed with us. But when we woke up in the morning, there was, you know, one or two kids in bed. There was normally only one, really. You know, of all my kids, there was only one that was a real avid, oh, I need to be in the bed, I need to be close to mum and dad. Um, and I, I think what most New Zealanders think is that kid needs to be told to harden up and made to go into his own bed, and that'll make him more independent. But the reality is letting that kid um, come in and make him feel more nurtured and let him take longer before he goes and wants to sleep in his own bed. And he's four before he does that. That's actually what's going to make him more independent and more secure. If it's no way, Joe say, to quote Catherine Gathingham on that, is it a case of... <laughs> Again, you can use it to settle. Like, if someone is particularly unsettled, aren't mm. you going to lose half an hour's sleep having a cuddle and they might nod off and then they're back to bed? Yep. Can it be working out what's going to be the best way for you to get whatever you yep. need? Yeah, and, and then to get what they're going to need. That's right. And if you do it with them, they, that's how they learn to do it for themselves. So you go in and you help them and you take half an hour to comfort them back to sleep in their own bed. And then the next time you only have to do it for 15 minutes and the next time for five minutes. And then the next time they can do it by themselves. It does mean you often do it in partnership with them for a start. And that's what leads to them having the independent skill of being able to do it themselves. Staying with sleep, an interesting one in the sleep cycles and being partly awake but not quite awake. As an adult, yep. we generally know we need to get up and have a wee, right? Yep. As kids, we all remember weeing the bed, and it felt so. Yeah. Unfair. I can. Re- I, I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm sharing this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can remember dreaming once as a little little kid that I'd got yeah. up and gone all the way down the cold hallway to the bathroom, and then yeah. waking up to find out I hadn't. I mean, how unfair yeah. is I that? I think we've all had that dream. How yeah. unfair is that? You so didn't want to get out of bed, but your brain just tricked <laughs> you into going. Yeah, we have. We've done it. We've and I was sitting the there. I did everything right. That didn't happen. So, yeah. how often is this a factor, and at what age? trying to get them to wake when they need to wake in, in response to that need. And again, can it be an independence thing? Can it be that the house is cold or the hallway's frightening that sometimes can lead to some of the bedwetting and, and, or, or calling out to need help with that? Yeah, I think a lot of kids suffer a bit of trauma around this, around bedwetting. A lot of kids that used to have medical conditions, you know, I've got cousins that might be a family trait, but that um, needed some type of surgery when they were uh, like 12 years old, and that's what fixed it. And so before that, they really had no control over it. So, But they're, by that age, incredibly traumatised about um, how inadequate they are about wetting the beard and the shame that goes with that. So I think we have to tread carefully, right? Um the majority of children are not going to be wetting the bed by the time they go to school. So I don't again don't put undue pressure by trying to get them dry early. I think sometimes we just stress ourselves and our kids out by trying to do things at two that you could just wait till three and it would have taken you a week. Um, but instead you're trying to do it at two and make it a really long, drawn out, stressful thing that takes two months. So I think wait until the child is ready to do it. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Look at those factors that you spoke about about mm. things like the cold hallway, and you know, is it achievable uh, is for them it, is, to do is that? The to- is the bathroom intimidating in the night? Yeah, and, is it really scary? And perhaps if they're just asleep very heavily, they just don't get the signal. So yeah, again, yeah. it's it's just a question of, of 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 working at it. We don't have a lot of time left, but I'd like to talk about the teen. Maybe we should pick up in the future on the teen sleep thing because it's yeah. such a big transition. It is and, a big one. And Nathan, what I'd love to know also is I know there's been a lot of work done on whether the school hours are just wrong, whether we yeah. just make our kids get up too early at the at, It does at look that, that way, age. Catherine. Yeah. It does. Can we yeah. do that next time? 
Yep, absolutely. Look at teenagers and their circadian oh. rhythm because it goes through clear changes. We'll just finish with a quick question. Have you got one there for us, Joe, on today's one? Oh, here we go. I have three children. At one stage, the two eldest were coming into my bed in the middle of the night. That was okay until I ran out of room one night and went and got one into one of their beds. Right. Then I discovered, this is interesting, that their bed was incredibly cold and uncomfortable. The next day I went and bought a topper foam mattress and made their bed much more comfortable and warm from underneath. They did not keep coming back to my bed in the middle of the night after wow. that. Isn't that interesting? That it's like is the cold hallway. Hey? And it's like just, yeah, what's the little, what is the little thing that makes yeah. your place more appealing than my place? And I'm not saying you yep. get them a $2,000 flash bed, but that's... No. I love how that parents put themselves into the child's world there by, you know, yeah. literally into the child's world by getting into their bed well, and going, I, actually, this is really uncomfortable. I, no wonder they want to come to my bed. I think she did that to get the hell out of the crowd yeah, in her yeah. own bed. <laughs> yeah, but it still gave her that insight, didn't it? Do you I remember like the that. hot water bottles? That was always the signal. The hot water yep. bottle's cold, so wakey, wakey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It can be really yep. simple and practical. Nathan, mm. look forward to talking next time. Excellent, Nathan. Catherine. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 